as always, we're just going to get right into it. <laughs> no, no introductions, no funny little story to start this, no, nothing like that. So, uh, but before we get into our verses tonight, um, I did want to get our, our biblical juices flowing um, with some, some verses that are going to round out uh, what we're going to be looking at tonight. Um, and hopefully they'll, they'll round out our understanding of the verses that we're going to be covering tonight. So to start off with, um, I hope you guys brought your Bibles. You know, let's, 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 let's open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And again, I just want to get the juices flowing. I want to get some, some background of, of stuff that's going on. And some of y'all might be like, wait, hold up, I wasn't ready. Like we're getting into it already. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to read through verse 15. So 1 Corinthians 2, starting verse 12, it says this, Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone, and we'll stop there. So basically, people without the Holy Spirit of God, uh, they cannot understand the things of God. You know, we are all born spiritually dead. We're all born dead in our sins. It's not that we're born sick. We are born dead. We are dead. The Bible is clear about that. And so that's why Jesus said that we must all be born again if we want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who are born again can enter the kingdom of heaven. And only those who are born again have the Spirit. And they are therefore able to understand the things of God, the word of God. We who are born again in here, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have the ability to spiritually evaluate everything, and that includes the things of God. The word uh, that is translated in, in, in my translation, the CSB, the word that's translated to uh, evaluate, it means to examine, to, uh, to, to investigate, to scrutinize, or to judge, to judge. Uh, so we have this God-given ability to spiritually assess and judge things. You don't, have to, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, you know, Paul goes on to talk about how the ability to judge is one of the spiritual gifts. It's one of the gifts given by the Holy Spirit, the ability to discern or distinguish uh, between uh, good and evil spirits, to make a judgment regarding someone's spirit. So let's turn now to Philippians chapter 1, just a couple of books over, Philippians chapter 1. And again, we're, we're getting some, we're getting a kind of a foundation. We're getting some background to get a full understanding. Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 9 through 11. And it says this, it says, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul writes to the Philippians, and he is praying that their love, that their love will grow 
in knowledge and that their love will grow in every kind of discernment. So what does that tell us? It tells us that love is not without standards. Love is not reckless, despite what a certain song may say. Love is not reckless. Our love is to be discerning, meaning it doesn't just go with what feels loving. It's also about what is in fact loving. Why? Well, so that we may approve the things that are superior and that we may be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Our love is to be discerning. Our love is to judge, and our love is to judge rightly. So now let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. A few books over. I, I made it a point to, to kind of go in order so that there's not a whole bunch of flipping. It's like as, as, as you keep going through the New Testament, you'll find the next scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to read verses... 19 through 22, is what it says. It says, don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. So Paul is telling the believers in Thessalonica to test all things, to scrutinize, to discern, to see whether a thing is genuine or not, to, to examine all things and to make a judgment call in order to hold on to what is good or to stay away from that which is evil, stay away from every kind of evil. So now turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Again, a few books over. I know you guys' wrists and fingers are cramping. Hebrews chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 11 through 14. And it says this, We have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain, since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teaching, or you ought to be be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. And we'll stop there. It is a sign of spiritual maturity when you are able to distinguish or judge between good and evil. And not just good and evil, but between good and uh, kind of appears good. It's It's a sign of spiritual maturity. Those who are spiritual babies, either because they are new to the faith or they're just too lazy they can't make good and evil judgment calls. They're, they're inexperienced in the word and uh, they're inexperienced in the practice of spiritual discipline. So they can't judge well. But the spiritually mature, they are able to make these kinds of judgments. And they should. It's for the good of the body, which is what we will see as you turn. I think this will be the last one to First John. First John chapter four. I think it's like two books over. No, more than that. 1 John chapter 4, and it's going to be verse 1. It says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We are not supposed to blindly believe everyone and everything. We are to test the spirits 
that are living within people to see if they are from God or not. Uh, that word that's translated to test in 1 John 4, 1, it's the same word that was used in 1 Thessalonians to assess or to scrutinize, to determine whether a thing is genuine or not, to make a judgment call after examination. As believers, we have been filled with God's Holy Spirit. We're filled with God's Holy Spirit. If we believe in Jesus, we are filled with God's Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons for this, one of the reasons that we have been filled with God's Holy Spirit, uh, of, of many reasons, is so that we can discern and judge situations and people around us for the benefit of others, the benefit of the body, and for our own spiritual well-being, our own spiritual edification. And so with all that, with all that as a backdrop, all of these verses as a backdrop, now let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. This is where, this is the, the study that we are going through uh, currently. Currently, we're, we're in the Sermon on the Mount specifically, um, but we're, overall, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And so right now, we're going to be starting Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at one of the most misquoted verses in, in all of the Bible. I believe it's one of the, mis, the most misquoted verse in the entire Bible, uh, but we're going to seek to understand it correctly and biblically. But before we do that... Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing us all here, Lord. And I just pray that tonight uh, your work would be done, Lord, that you would, you would speak to us, that you would change us, that you would mold us and, 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 and shape us into the image of Christ. Lord, I pray for all of us here that if there's anybody in here who is struggling with anything, battling with anything, battling with pride, battling with ego, Maybe somebody in here is really fighting a battle, a spiritual battle where there's just demonic presence all around them, God. I just pray that you would rebuke the enemy and that you would clear all of our minds and clear all of our hearts so that we can hear your truth, so that we can fight this battle. Lord, you, you say that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And so God, as we seek to uh, equip ourselves with, the, with your armor, God, help us to, to get that truth, that righteousness, to understand the gospel, to understand our salvation, to have faith, to be moved to prayer, and to, and to wield this sword, God. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you're taking notes, the title of tonight's message is, Don't Judge Me, Bro. Don't judge me, bro. I mean, how many of y'all heard that? Some of you ladies have probably heard that, which is weird. Like, why are we calling ladies bro? Like, it's, it's like a thing now, right? Like, like everyone's bro. Strange, uh, but whatever. Y'all do your thing. Uh, but let's read our verses tonight, and we're going we're gonna to look at, we're going we're gonna to look at all this stuff uh, more closely. And everything is pretty straightforward that we're going to be reading tonight. So uh, Matthew chapter 7, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. It says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. So in light of all the verses that we read, what does do not judge so that you will not be judged mean? What does that mean? Well, 
not only in light of the totality of Scripture, but also in light of the context of the Sermon on the Mount, do not judge so that you won't be judged, it means that you ought not to judge self-righteously. You, you, you ought not to judge in place of God, as though you have the final say in a person's eternal dwelling. In, in so much of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going after the hypocritical self-righteousness of the religious leaders of this day. And so it is the same with these verses that we just read. The religious leaders, they were very judgmental, very judgmental. And it was a self-righteous, blind judgment that they would cast on people that didn't allow them to see their own need for forgiveness. So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, please. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. I feel like we've gone to Luke chapter 9 so much. Like we haven't like actually gone to it, but it, Luke chapter 9 has been referenced so much uh, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount that it kind of speaks to the, to the fact that hypocrisy is, is talked a lot about by Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start at verse... Sorry, no, sorry, my bad. My bad, guys. Luke 18. My bad. Luke 18. And Luke 18, we're going to start in verse 9. And this is what it says. Speaking about Jesus, it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. This is what he said. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the exact kind of judgment that Jesus is telling us not to judge with when he says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. This, this, this kind of self righteous, self-promoting, holier-than-thou kind of judgment. The kind of judgment that at the heart is communicating that you believe that you are better than the person that you are casting judgment on. When you cast judgment in this kind of way, you are exalting yourself and you leave the presence of God condemned. This is what Jesus said. You may think that you are justifying yourself by pointing out so, that someone else is worse than you are, but there is no justification for you if this is the kind of judgment that you are casting. And so, since we're in Luke, uh, let's go back to, let's go to Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at Luke's, the, the parallel of Matthew chapter 7 in Luke's gospel. It's going to be from Luke's perspective. So, go back a few chapters to Luke chapter 6 so we can review some of the verses we read a little earlier. Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 37 through 40. And it says this, again, just reiterating what we read, the parallel of Matthew, and Matthew, of Matthew 7. Luke 6, 37, it says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. 
Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And we'll pause there. And so I believe there are a couple of different ideas that can be gleaned from these verses in Luke and what we, re- what we read in Matthew 7. First of all, it can't mean, it can't mean, it just, it can't mean that if we do judge in a self-righteous way that we then forfeit the grace and mercy that comes from simple faith. It can't mean that. That would be contrary to the gospel. Salvation and forgiveness, they come by grace through faith and it's a free gift. It's not of works so that no one can boast. So if we find ourselves in a situation where we, we are, are using merciless standards in order to judge others, that doesn't necessarily mean that we will also be judged by merciless standards. However, and secondly, I do believe that it means that the standards we use in judgment are an indication of whether or not we are in Christ. Jesus said that a disciple is not above his teacher. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Our teacher, Jesus, he is merciful. He is gracious. He is compassionate. So that is what we will be like in our judgments. He is our teacher, and we will be like him. So though we we may sometimes find ourselves mercilessly casting judgment on others, the Holy Spirit will correct us and cause us to repent. That is assuming that the Holy Spirit is living within us. And if you are a believer, then he is. And if he is, you will repent. So how are we to judge? How are we to judge? You know, we we went over a few scriptures at the beginning, you know, telling us that we are to judge. Like, this is just something that we're supposed to be doing. We're to judge. But here in Matthew 7 and then in Luke chapter chapter 6, we are told to judge righteously, to judge like Jesus. So how do we judge righteously? How does that look for us? What does that look like for us to judge righteously? Well, let's continue reading Luke chapter 6. We're going to read verses 41 and 42. And it says, Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your, in your eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. So in order for us to be able to judge correctly, to judge righteously, we first must have a correct self-awareness. We have to have a correct self-awareness. You are not holier than thou. You are not more righteous than others. You are not better than others, ever. You are someone who, by the grace of God, has had their blind spots exposed, and you are coming alongside your brothers or your sisters in order to be used by God to help expose their own blind spots. But it's all in humility. It's all in humility and and complete, correct self-awareness. Galatians 6.1, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual... 
Restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. What do these verses reveal? Well, first of all, they reveal that you must be spiritual, meaning you are mature. You are mature. Just like the, verse that we read, the verses that we read in, Hebrew at the, at the, in Hebrews at the start, you are to be spiritual. You are to be mature. These verses in, uh, this verse in Galatians 6.1, it also reveals that you are to be gentle in your correction. Gentle in your correction, not abrasive, not lacking compassion. You can be blunt without being a jerk. I don't know if you guys knew this. I, I found out when I got married. You can be blunt without being a jerk. It's possible. It's not easy, but it's possible. And this verse, Galatians 6.1, it reveals to us that you also need to be careful. You need to watch out for it yourself so that you won't also be tempted. Why? Well, because you have a weak flesh as well. You, you have indwelling sin within you as well. So you need to be careful and watch yourself. That's the heart and the thrust of the judgments that we are to cast. That's how we're supposed to judge. Bottom line, we are the body of Christ. If you're a believer in here, I'm not gonna assume everybody's a believer in here, but if you're a believer in here, you are part of the body of Christ. And, and we are tasked, as the body of Christ, we are tasked with the responsibility of looking out for each other. That's, what, that's just what we're supposed to be doing. Jude chapter one, well, it's, there's only one chapter, but verses 20, and 20 through 23, it says, but you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. Have mercy on your brothers and sisters. Snatch them from the fire, while at the same time, have fear and, and hate even the garments that are defiled by the flesh, by, by these wicked activities. It's a similar sentiment that we read in, in Galatians 6, 1. We are the body of Christ for, for us believers in here. And we are tasked with the responsibility of looking out for each other and making judgments. We are to make judgments, especially, though, especially those of us who have been tasked to be leaders, you know, pastors and deacons and elders. We, we have this responsibility to, to, to make judgments, to assess things. But we need to make sure that the heart behind our judgment is pure. We must first judge ourselves, have correct self-awareness, and then we can go to our brothers and we can go to our sisters to provide humble and caring judgment with the goal of repentance and restoration, restored to usefulness for the kingdom of God. So the implication is that we are all to be humble in our correction towards our brothers and our sisters, but the implication is also, let's flip it, that we are to be humbly correctable. We are to be humbly correctable. We must be open. We must be open. We have no choice but to be open to the correction from our brothers and our sisters. We can't be proud. We cannot. We can't think ourselves untouchable. We can't think that if someone confronts us about something that they are automatically being unrighteously, that's not a word I know, but we can't assume that they are being unrighteously judgmental. Test the spirit behind the correction 
But you have to do that humbly. We have to be correctable. We have to be. We can't run away from correction. I reject that. Why? Because you don't like how it stings. You don't like how it feels. You don't like being exposed. You don't like being told that you, there's, there's something wrong with you. That's not a reason to reject that. Get over yourself. We have to be correctable. We have to be. How else are we going to grow? There's no other way for us to grow. We have to be correctable. I was listening to a preacher today, and he was asking the question, you know, if, if God loves us just the way we are, uh, then what was the need for Jesus? Meaning, like, if there's no change that needs to occur, if God just loves us and, and there's no expectation of change and growth, then, then why did Jesus have to suffer and die in order to forgive us? His death is pointless. If God loves us just the way we are and has no desire to change us just the way we are, if we're fine just the way we are, why the need for the sacrifice? Of course we need to change. Of course we need to grow. Of course, we need to become holy as we are already holy in the heavenlies, seated with Christ Jesus. We're already holy. We're already there, but we are becoming who we are there. We have to be correctable. We have to be correctable, and we have to grow. And God has given us each other. He has given us our brothers and our sisters, the body of Christ, to build each other up. And sometimes that building up includes correction. It includes correction sometimes. Hey, bro, you shouldn't use that kind of foul language. You shouldn't talk like that. You shouldn't go to those places anymore. Why why are you still going to those places? You you shouldn't be going there anymore. The Holy Spirit doesn't belong there. Why are you going there? I, I I might offend some people. You should dress more modestly. You shouldn't dress that way. You should dress more modestly. The way that you're dressing is pointing people towards your body. It's not okay. The light of God shines from your face. That's where people should be pointed to. You should end that relationship with that non-believer. Oh, buddy, I've given, I've given that advice. I've given that correction. It wasn't followed. We'll see what happens. It usually doesn't end well. I've told the leaders at Zeal, and you can ask them, I've told them, and I meant to tell you guys tonight, I'm sorry, I should have told you guys, I meant to remind you guys, but I've told them in the past, like, hey, correct me. Like, if you, if you see something going on that isn't right, correct me. And I, I've given them full permission, correct me. If you see me acting funny, correct me. I'm a married man. I am a married man. I've told them, if they observe me being a little too friendly with any female here, any female here, I've told them that they need to call me out on it. I have no business being all buddy-buddy with any woman other than my wife. She is my only buddy-buddy. She is my best buddy-buddy. She's my favorite buddy-buddy. She's my favorite. I'm sorry. I just, I love her. So I've told them to keep me accountable and to correct me if they ever observe anything that looks out of line. Some of y'all may, yeah, you know, I, I don't know, like, I, sometimes it's awkward, but there was this, there was this uh, young lady on, I don't know if it was this past Sunday or the Sunday prior, maybe it was a midweek, um, but, you know, introduced, blah, 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 oh, yeah, you should come to Zeal, all that stuff, and then, and then at the end of it, like, she goes in for a hug, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm a shaker, I'm a shaker, you know, and, and she's like, oh, and it's like, I'm sorry, 
I don't want to hug anybody other than my wife. I don't, I don't need to hug anybody other than my wife. I love you guys. I love you. I really do. I really do have a strong love for you guys. But I don't, I don't need to hug you in order to do that. I love you. So if you're ever wondering, like, oh, what is everyone else hugs. I'm like, yeah, I just don't want I remember when I was, I was uh, in a young adults group um, in my early 20s, um, our pastor at the time, he, he would talk about how in his, in his, his contact list uh, on his phone, um, he had no women in it. And I was just like, whoa, like that, right on. Like that is some dedication. I mean, I'm sure he had some women in it that like he just had to like for work purposes or something like that. But like anything that wasn't, necessary absolutely he's like no, no they, they could talk to my wife like, that's so awesome that's great i love it but we all must be correctable we all must be correctable and we all must be spiritually mature enough to be able to provide humble and proper correction and so as we move into the final verses of the night uh, let's take a look at dogs and pigs, shall we? I want to take a look at some dogs and pigs. Um, so let's, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2. I'll explain, <laughs> in case you forgot already what we read. 2 Peter chapter 2. You know, I just got this Bible, and I don't know if y'all know, but when you first buy a Bible, the pages stick together. Um, people have been exposed. Um, I remember one time, I won't say who it was, uh, but I remember one time I was talking with somebody and I had my Bible on me and I was like, oh, hey, let me, let me borrow your Bible real quick. I got to find something. And so I, I grabbed I grab this person's Bible and, and like, man, all these pages are sticking together. Like, like you have not opened this thing. Like, what, what is going on? Like, how long have you had it? Like, a week? I don't know, like three years. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> I'm just kidding, that, that part didn't happen, but um, yeah, you, you get exposed. So I've only had this Bible a short time, so that's why the pages are sticking together. I'm working on it. I'm reading through the whole thing. Um, where was I? Second Peter, chapter 2, uh, verses, 17, verses 17 through 22. It says this, These people are springs without water, misdriven by a storm. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them. For by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. For if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated. The last state is worse for them than the first." For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the, the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a washed sow returns to wallowing in the mud. And so with these verses in mind, let's just, just keep these verses in mind. Uh, let's go to the book of Proverbs. Go to Proverbs 26. For those of you who are new here, yes, yeah, sometimes we, we go flipping through the Bible, and, and that's okay. We get, to, we get to know our Bibles. Proverbs 26. So I encourage you, if you're going to keep coming and joining us, I encourage you to please bring your Bible. 
All right, so I, um, we're going to Proverbs 26 because I first want to, to see where Peter gets this verse from. He gets that proverb, and, and um, yeah, and then we'll go to another proverb to, to look at pigs. Um, so people who come to the truth, just to re- remind us of what Peter said, people who come to the truth and then they abandon that truth to go back to the devil's lie of sin, um, they are like dogs that return to their vomit and pigs who return to the mud after they've been cleaned. So looking at the source verse for Second Peter, uh, Proverbs 26, verse 11, this is what it says. It says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so also a fool repeats his foolishness. And that's exactly what's happening. When, when a person who comes to the truth decides to go back to the lies, they are a fool they are a fool who is repeating their foolishness. Facts, as the children say. And when Peter adds that they are also like a sow uh, returning to wallow in the mud after they've been washed, it's believed that he, he borrowed that as like an ancient adage that he added into what he was saying to like really drive his point. So we don't have a proverb from, from which Peter grabbed that analogy of the pig, um, but we do have something. So let's flip over to Proverbs 11, just a few pages over Proverbs 11, and we're going to see what the book of Proverbs has to say about a pig. It's interesting. All right. Proverbs 11, verse 22, it says this. A beautiful woman who rejects good sense is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. So though a woman may have a desirable trait like beauty to boast about, like, I'm so pretty, I'm so beautiful. If she rejects good sense, if she rejects the truth, her beauty is nothing but a tiny, shiny object surrounded by a beastly pig. Pigs, they are unclean animals. I mean, in general. But under the law of Moses, they, they were unclean animals. They, they were not to eat them. They were not to touch them. They were a filthy animal. And if you are a person who rejects good sense and you reject truth, though you think you may have qualities to boast about, all that is seen is your rejection of truth. And instead of seeing your qualities you simply look like a gross and filthy animal, spiritually speaking, of course. So when Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 6, don't give what is holy to dogs and, or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces, in the context of providing correction to a brother or a sister, Jesus appears to be communicating that we need to discern our audience. We need to discern our audience. If it appears that the brother or sister that we are talking to is going to be a dog returning to their vomit despite our loving, caring, and humble correction, or if it appears that the brother or sister that we are talking to is going to behave like a pig rejecting good sense that is presented in our loving and caring and humble correction, then it may be time to move on. It may be time to move on. We need to assess who it is that we're talking to. 
Not in a self-righteous, proudly judgmental way. We've already established that that is not the way that we are to judge. But we need to seriously look at who we are talking to and check the track record. Check the track record. It's really easy. Have they been open to correction in the past? Do they have a history of being open to correction? Have they been willing to be corrected? Have they, have they humbly taken in the word of God as it is being used for correction? Oh, I'll take the Jesus love me stuff all day. But when it comes to correction, the word of God being used as correction, do they take in the word? Or are they unable to see their own errors? Are they unable to comprehend that they may actually be wrong? Do they reject the word of God when it becomes a sword to cut away at their transgressions? Now, I'm not talking about initial rejection and initial pride. We all have that. You know, whenever my wife confronts me about something, uh, my knee-jerk reaction is to push against that and make excuses because we don't like to hear things about ourselves. So that's the knee-jerk reaction, right? But after some time, after marinating on it, after the Holy Spirit speaks to me, uh, more often than not, I realize that the correction that my wife was trying to provide was accurate. And then I'm left with a choice, either repent or rebel. And sometimes I rebel. <laughs> but then the Holy Spirit continues working. It's like, okay, dude, you're just going to keep getting stressed out. Um, so I'm not talking about a saint who God is actually working on. That's not who I'm talking about. And when I say saint, and for those of you who may not know, because I understand there are new believers, you, if you believe in Jesus, you're a saint. You, you may come from a background where saints were those, those pictures that we pray to because, you know, they're dead, but now they're closer to Jesus, so we pray to them because they're closer to God, so why not pray to them since they, they're closer to God, closer than I am? Dead that. According to the Bible, if you believe in Jesus, you are a saint, and there is no mediator between God and man except for Christ Jesus. So you don't need to be praying to saints uh, so that they can pray to God on your behalf. You pray on your own behalf because you have direct access to the throne room of God, just in case anybody was wondering. So I'm not talking about a saint who God is actually working on. I'm talking about a person who just flat out rejects everything and is uncorrectable. They return to their vomit. They return to their foolishness with no remorse. They reject good sense. They reject truth. And they show themselves to be a beast driven by impulse. For those people, for those people, we need to stop giving them what is holy. We need, we just, we need to stop giving them the pearls of God. You know, we've looked, at, we've looked at Matthew 13 in the past as we, you know, at some, some point, maybe like a year and a half ago, and we're going to look at it again when we get there eventually in 10 years. But what Jesus said in Matthew 13 is that there will be false believers among us. There will be false believers among us. They will be growing alongside of us, but they will never actually be growing in the Lord. And they will eventually, eventually be exposed for what they really are, which are children of Satan. So in light of that, I, I urge all of you, I urge all of you to be correctable. Be correctable. Be admonishable. That's also not a word, but I made it into a word. Be admonishable. Be, be able to be admonished. 
Be open to the sword, the word of God cutting you up. And be open to the fact that the person holding that sword may be one of your closest friends. Proverbs 27, 6 says that the wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. The kisses of an enemy are they're pointless. But if, if your friend wounds you, it's probably for good reason, because they love you. Be correctable. Be correctable. Now, another interpretation of these verses where Jesus says, you know, don't you'll give what's holy to dogs and don't cast your pearls before swine. Another interpretation is that we need to assess who it is that we're sharing the gospel with, unsaved people, lost people. Be, you, d- discern and assess who you're sharing the gospel with. Some people just don't want to hear it. Some people just don't care. Some people may even get violent towards you. They just don't want to get away from me. I'm telling you, I hate God. Like, it's just, you got to assess, you know? It's not, it's not like black and white. Like, you, you got to have wisdom. You got to be spiritually mature to be able to assess these things. But there are some people that are just, you just know, like, oh, yeah, they, they don't want anything to do with this stuff at all. And so there are some cases where we just need, to, just need to move on. You just need to move on. Don't continue giving the holy gospel to the dogs and don't continue giving the pearl of the gospel to the pigs. Don't, don't say that when you're done with them. Don't be like, you know, you're acting like a real pig right now, so I'm gonna stop giving you my pearls because then they will turn and tear you to pieces uh, if you don't know self-defense. Um, but... And, and I believe that both of these interpretations are valid. The, 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 the interpretation of brotherly and sisterly correction and the interpretation of sharing the gospel, they're both equally valid as far as, as far as I could tell. Lord, forgive me if they're not, but it just seems that way. And so I say to all of you, judge correctly. Judge correctly. Judge yourself first. Make sure that you judge yourself first, but don't judge yourself so that you can then you know, have permission to judge others. Like, you know, okay, I really want to tell them how I feel about them. So I'm, okay, I'm a little angry. Okay, all right, great. <laughs> now you, you know, like, no, that's, that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not how it works. But judge yourself. Judge yourself. Assess yourself. And if you see a brother or sister in error, humbly and lovingly and carefully approach them to assist in bringing them to a correct understanding. And if in time you find that a person is, is not one to accept correction from the word of God, because ultimately that will be where you're bringing correction from. It's not, I think, no, no, no. The word of God says this about how you're behaving. If you find that they will not accept correction from the word of God, then you may have a dog or a pig on your hands, in which case it's time to stop wasting those precious resources. And I also say to all of you, don't be a dog and don't be a pig. Don't be a dog or a pig. Be correctable. Be approachable. Be confrontable. Allow the word of God to do its thing and transform you. And though I would never declare someone to be a dog or a pig, like to to make such a, a definite claim regarding someone's position in Christ or non-position in Christ, I would say that there are certain evidences that appear in someone who is in Christ. That you will see certain things of those who are in Christ. And one of those evidences that you will see of those who are in Christ is that they are correctable. They are confrontable. 
they are admonishable, and they are teachable. We are tasked with doing that for each other. We have the Holy Spirit in us for that task, and he will guide us into all truth. So let us first judge ourselves correctly, and if so led by the Holy Spirit, uh, let us also provide judgment and correction for our brothers and sisters, and let's communicate the judgment that is to come with those who are under the curse of the law, with the lost. let's, Let's bring freedom to them, freedom from the judgment that is to come. Let's bring the good news to those who need it. You know, and everyone needs the good news. And you guys, at the end of the day, like this is, this is why we're here. Like God didn't save you so that you can just be saved and go on your merry way. Like his, his whole purpose in coming was to expand the kingdom of heaven. And so a lot of us, we can get sidetracked. And we get sidetracked by, by our pursuits and, and sidetracked by our toys and sidetracked by everything, sidetracked by our kids, sidetracked by our spouses, you know, we can get sidetracked by so many things, but why are we here? Like, is, is, is what is happening on this earth, like, is this going to continue on forever? I'm asking, is it? Any, audibly, anybody? No, right? So let's not get distracted by this thing that isn't going to last forever. What is going to last forever? Eternity, which is where God is. So let's, let's focus on that. Let, let's repent of, of our refusal to live heavenly-minded. I have to repent of that all the time. I get distracted. I get distracted. But we are here for the kingdom of heaven. So let us be here for the kingdom of heaven. Don't get distracted. That's what the devil wants. That's what the enemy wants, to, to, to keep you distracted with your job or your kids or your spouse or your pursuits or your toys. Let's keep him distracted. Let's keep her distracted because as they're distracted with all these things, they're going out to go buy a new toy and there's somebody who needs Jesus there, but let's just keep them so focused on that new toy that they don't notice this person over here. Let's keep, them, let's keep this person so distracted. This person is chasing... I don't know, man. I, I mean, what, let's, let's, let me use me. What did I used to chase? Uh, I used to chase education. Nothing wrong with education. But like, don't chase that thing to the neglect of sharing the gospel and spreading the kingdom. I used to chase health and nutrition. Like, oh, I want to be the most healthy person and the buffest person. Like, nobody can be Leone. Like, you can't, you can't get on that level. <laughs> but, you know, you get distracted by these things. But that's not what we're here for. You know, uh, what does Paul say? He says, uh, uh, man, I'm drawing a blank. I'm still feeling a little ill, I guess. Um, Physical, somebody help me. Nah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Physical strength is good, but spiritual spiritual strength is way better, you know, because it leads into eternity. And so let us not be distracted. You know, we're here to make judgments, not self-righteous judgments, but we're here to make judgments. Hey, if you continue down that road, there is a judgment coming. God will satisfy, his wrath will be satisfied. Either you can just be like, okay, I'm going to let Jesus satisfy his wrath for me, or you're going to have to satisfy his wrath personally. So let, let us do that. And think about that as we're going to be going out evangelizing for the last time this year in, in three weeks. Think about that. 
Maybe just come out. You don't have to say anything. You could just be there as a presence. But anyway, um, yeah, that's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, thank you that you have placed us in the body. Like as, as, as a result of our faith, you have placed us into your body. Jesus Christ is our head. And you have placed us in the body. And we, we have something that we're supposed to be doing. There's a function that we are supposed to fulfill. And God, I, I just pray that you would help us to see what that function is. And God, I want to pray for anybody in here who, who may be distracted. God, if, whatever that distraction might be, the, 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 the possibilities are endless of the things that we can be distracted by. And so God, I just pray that for all, all those who are distracted, God, that you would help us to, to refocus, to recalibrate, to be, to be about your business, to be about your kingdom and your righteousness. This earth will not last. We will, I mean, even, even if the earth outlives us, God, we, we're, we are going to be outlived. We are going to die. And so God, help us to be heavenly minded. Help us to be focused on your kingdom. And God, as we, as, as the body of Christ, as members of that body, as we fulfill the thing that you, the, the function that you have given us to do, God, I pray that in, in all that we do, it would just be kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Myself included, God. Don't let me be distracted by the fact that I'm a pastor. And so that fulfills my duty. God, humble all of us. And God, I pray that we would, we would be the body of Christ. God, if there is any brother or sister that is in transgression, if there's any brother or sister that is in sin, God, I pray that you would expose them. Not to be embarrassed, God, but to be restored. I know, I know God, that sometimes you've exposed me. You, you've, you've forced me to expose myself in order to bring about true repentance. And so, God, I pray that you would expose people, God, that you would expose their sin, expose their transgression, so that restoration and repentance can happen. I thank you. I thank you, God, that you are holy, that you are gracious, that you are kind, that you are good. And I thank you that you poured out your wrath on your only begotten son so that we wouldn't have to feel that, God. We believe you. We believe in you. Be glorified as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.